Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. Welcome to episode 192 of There's Still Time, the AFTN Soccer Show. I'm your host, Michael McCall, and we're bringing you a PDL special for this episode. A lot to get through, so there's not going to be too much chat from me. I'm pretty sure you're going to be all glad to hear that. We're going to be talking to PDL director Todd Eason about the new season that gets underway on Friday. And we're also going to bring a chat we had with TSS Rovers, Colin Elms and Will Cromack. Now we've always been big supporters of the PDL here at AFTN, watched the Whitecaps under-23s back in the day, really missed the team when they kind of decided not to continue with that when they started their USL team in 2015. Interestingly, I've always thought that the Whitecaps did decide to disband that, whereas Portland and Seattle have kept their under-23 teams going, it did take away that that other pathway for a lot of the local guys that were maybe at NCAA colleges and couldn't play on a team beside paid players or guys that the Whitecaps just didn't want to have a look at. TSSFC Rovers are here now. First time in three seasons that the lower mainland is going to have a, a team in the PDL. Hopefully then filling that gap. There's a, a number of local players and some well-known names and faces that's going to be involved with the, the TSS side this year. We'll come to that later on. We're going to kick things off with a chat I had with PDL director Todd Eason. This will be Todd's third season in charge of the PDL as director. He took over in October 2014. So we've got a chance to catch up with Todd on the phone just to talk about a number of issues around the league. The season to come the part that Canadian teams play in the PDL, the pressure that might be on the league with the expansion of the NPSL and USL themselves wanting to start a D3 league. Also in Canada, you're going to have the Canadian Premier League starting at some stage that that might take some of the players or, or teams away from the PDL. And we also chat with Todd just about where the league sits in the North American soccer landscape and why people should care about it and get out to watch the games. So without any further ado, let's bring your chat now with PDL director, Todd Eason. Guess the first thing to, to ask you, Todd, is that the new season's getting underway on Friday. Um, it's your third season as, as PDL director. 
does it does it get ever get old? Or is it always still an exciting buzz when the when the new season's about to kick off? I think it does, um, and and I am going into the I guess uh, my third season, which uh, we've done a lot, I guess, in my my three years, and and continuing to build off of some of the things that we've um, we've put out there, but uh, but also just trying to continue to help teams uh, be successful on and off the field is something that keeps driving us um, each year. And, uh, and with having new franchises come into the league each year, it's always new. Um, and, and so I think that keeps it uh, pretty fresh um, year to year, and, uh, and there's always some great challenges that go with it, but uh, it, it's different each each and every year. So I think that's what keeps driving us is uh, is being able to help these teams in, in different ways and getting to know some of the new franchises and ownership groups and being able to see these players move on and play professionally. I think it's just always rewarding year after year. So uh, definitely excited about going to this third season. And it's going to be three years since we actually had a, a PDL team here in Vancouver after the Whitecaps went to WA, well, it went to USL with their WFC2 team. TSS Rover is obviously starting this weekend. How have you seen the league change, would you say, in the, in the three years under your helm since the last time that, that we had a team here? Yeah, and I guess I could talk a little specifically about uh, that region and how it's changed. Um, like you said, TSS is coming in. Um, we've got a team in, in Victoria. And then, of course, Calgary had such a successful uh, season last year, yeah. which was just their second year of competition. That division is extremely competitive. And I think uh, by adding a lot of the Canadian teams to that division, it continues to to strengthen it. And, and I think like with TSS and, and how Calgary have operated and, and Victoria, the, the standards that uh, these teams are able to perform at is, uh, is really exciting to us. And, and I think year after year, the standards, but also the players that are coming through the clubs are getting better. And, uh, and I think uh, by having these guys in the league, as well as really just all the new teams that are coming in, the ownership groups are becoming more and more professional in, in how they, they operate and, 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 and their expectations are extremely high when it comes to their player pool. So um, each and every year I think it's just gotten better, and, uh, and especially in that region there is just uh, loads of talent. Obviously we see it through Vancouver, and uh, we know a lot of the players like Dominic uh, Zader from Calgary getting signed, and, and I think TSS is going to end up having a lot of players that are kind of tied into the Vancouver system, and then, of course, Victoria um, still being able to bring in top-level players to, to expose to the, the MLS clubs or even the USL clubs in that region. So, um, so yeah, it definitely um, has been good, and, and I think uh, been very progressive um, in, in that region for sure. So I just continue to see that can, uh, growing even more, and uh, once TSS gets their feet um, under them a bit and kind of sees what the, the standard is, I know they're going to be able to bring some top talent there and just keep it moving forward. Now, obviously, because it's been a while since we had a team out here, there's a lot of people don't know too much about the PDL, where it kind of fits into the, the North American landscape, soccer-wise. 
I, I read somewhere that I think this year in the MLS Superdraft, 73% of the players drafted had previous PDL experience. Where do you see the league fitting in importance-wise in the term of these development opportunities? Yeah, it's um, we're in a, in a great position because we do focus on the amateur player, the, the U23 player, and we provide really that platform for players to, to one, get exposed to professional clubs by playing through throughout the summer with us, but continuing to get that developed. And, uh, and I know a lot of the, the Canadian kids that uh, have the college season is, is kind of like one tier of development for them. And, and sometimes that's just a, a three-month span. And, uh, and I think the addition to what uh, PDL brings just gives them another three months of development in a, in a new environment uh, with new challenges and, and it continues to give them exposure so that uh, professional clubs can see them. And, uh, and the unique thing about the college system and the PDL when they work together, it really gives you anywhere from six to seven months of continuous play, which that is very important to the professional clubs. They, they want to see someone that can kind of endure a long season versus just being able to, to play three months and then taking – you know, anywhere from six to nine months off. Um, and so being able to lengthen a season by using the PDL, it helps with, obviously, the development, but the, the overall exposure. And, and we've been proven to put a lot of players into the pros. And, and like you said, we were up to 73% of all the draftees have having PDL experience. And I think 59 of uh, the players that have come through the PDL did get drafted. And a lot of them will stay up on the, the senior sides of MLS clubs, but some of them will drop down and play USL for a season to continue to get that development. So where the PDL fits is, is perfect for the amateur player, and it gives them a high level of competition, but uh, continues to give them um, months of development under great coaches and in uh, good training situ- situations. So it's, uh, it, I think it's imperative for some of the younger players to – Get that uh, get that experience that they need to be you know ready for a professional season. So we've had a lot of success with that. Now, talking of the the college game, there, there's been rumours recently that they're looking to possibly expand their season, maybe have a break, and then kind of have some kind of March Madness style thing. Do, do you guys get involved in those talks, or how do you see that maybe impacting the the PDL down the road if the NCAA season is a little bit longer? Yeah, and, and we don't get involved in that. Um, I mean, the, the thing about us is we've always been a summer league, um, and so we definitely occupy the, the time of the summer, which would be kind of the mid-May um, through the end of July. And so we don't really interfere, and if NCAA was to go that route or just the whole college system go that route, we see that it's one a benefit to the player to, to continue to be able to get touches on the ball and, and, and play, but uh, it doesn't really interfere what we're doing. And, um, and, you know, we're still yet to hear any kind of resolution to that. So I don't know if it is something that will, will happen in the near future, but we just kind of focus on ourselves and keep uh, putting ourselves in a position where we can help players move on and, and help coaches move on and so forth. So, um, we just kind of focus on ourselves at this point, and, but uh, we are constantly being proactive on the, in the event that something like that does happen. But uh, we don't see it really affecting what we do at this point. 
Something else, I guess, which may affect the, the lead down the line, or you may even have noticed some things already, the NPSL seems to be on quite a, a big expansion drive at the moment. Kitsap, Puma's left the PDL to kind of go up to that level. USL themselves have talked about having a Division 3 league. D- do you see more of, of your sides looking to, to have those longer seasons? Or do you feel that the, the bulk of them are going to be happy just with the, the summer season that you guys have? Um, I, I think we do have some ambitious clubs that uh, would love to see more games. And, uh, and right now we do compete um, within our league of, of 14 games, which is, is plenty for most. Um, and so, you know, there are a lot of amateur leagues that uh, are, are coming up, NPSL being one of them. I think there's a, a UPSL that might be out that way. And, uh, and I think we've just been very clear about going about our business with things. Our, you know, our motto is path to pro, and, and that's a huge focus for us. We want to focus on the, the under-23 um, under player, and we provide a level of national exposure for elite players in our league um, by doing many things, many initiatives with spotlights and, you know, a, a top prospect page, and we have uh, scouts, you know, nationwide looking at players and reporting them um, back to the league so that we can service our players to get to the next level. So, um, yeah, there's just there are, there are many leagues, but uh, we don't see it as, as competition, and the only thing we compete with is ourselves to be better serve our teams. And that's on a business standpoint, but also um, giving them the notoriety that they need um, for a player standpoint and, and competition. So, um, yeah, there, there's just a lot that is going on, but uh, we don't see it really affecting us at all um, and that we are just more competitive with ourselves. I think the D3 um, league that uh, you mentioned about, that what we're doing here at the USL yeah. is, uh, is something that we're really excited about because I think it just gives us another league to be able to place players in. And, uh, and, and right now we have over 370 players that are currently playing in the USL that have PDL experience. So just operating another league will continue to f- kind of filter all of our The league's growing. The The number of players that, that's getting into the pro ranks isn't increasing. Where would you like to see the, the league being within the next five years? Yeah, I think um, we see ourselves continuing, obviously, uh, to be the premier amateur league in, in North America, and we want to continue to be a developmental leader for professional um, players or for professional leagues and, and abroad. So, I think our focus and, and where I see ourselves going is to just 
better polish what we're doing now, but to provide more services, again, for our teams to be successful. We want to make sure that um, we are, you know, the path to pro and that uh, college players are recognizing that and, and finding that playing on a PDL team is, is imperative for their not only development but their exposure. Um, so I, I, I continuing to see the numbers of players that come through the PDL um, rise and, uh, and, and to see more elite players come through and, and find their way to the professional level. But in addition to that, I, I want to see more stability within our clubs. Um, we, we provide a lot of services throughout our league, and um, whether it be in the, the customer service department or, or sharing best practices and using the resources of USL to, to support our teams. And, uh, and I want to see more stability throughout our league. You know, every once in a while we'll have a team that uh, will perform for us for one year, and then, you know, and then they can't do it. And we've got to be in a, in a situation where that isn't an option and that uh, teams are staying with us because they see the benefit and the, and the value of, of being in the league and that they're successful on a business standpoint. So we're going to assure up uh, the stability side of things, but we're also continuing to attract some of the best players in the country. So I want to kind of see that uh, continue on as, uh, as long as we can. Yeah, I guess the stability thing is important. We, we've seen a, a lot of teams move or change names or change cities here in the Pacific Northwest. I know TSS, they've got a three-year commitment to the league, which is a, a great thing. Now, the, I went down to the, the PDL Championship in Seattle two seasons ago when KW United won it. And one of the things which kind of disappointed me was it was a great attendance the, the first night because Seattle were in it. And then it, it kind of dipped after that when they were knocked out. The fan, the attendances are around the league. It's kind of different markets. It's a bit up and down. If there was people here in Vancouver on the fence about maybe going to watch TSS or any other PDL market, how how would you sell the league to them? What, what would be your, your big selling point to get people to come out and watch these teams this season? I think we're just a league that uh, is designed for, for future stars. And, uh, and you, know, you speak of that area there. You know, we've had players like Jordan Morris that have come through our, our leagues and DeAndre Yedlin that have played and, and Cullum uh, Irving, who's uh, there with Irving, uh, with uh, Vancouver now. And, uh, and this is where a lot of our players get that recognition, get that start to play at the next level. So, you know, being able to be on the amateur side and, and see some of these guys perform where they haven't uh, established a name yet is pretty exciting. And, uh, and so in addition to that, being able to come to an event that's run professionally. And, uh, and a lot of our teams have put on great atmospheres um, for their fans. And, uh, and when it is a one-off game it, it, and, and it, there's a home team involved, it, you're definitely getting the, the attendance that you're needing. And, uh, and I think a lot of our clubs are doing a better job now being involved in the community and in attracting more attention to their side. Um, so to be a, in a league where you can kind of see the future stars, but also be a part of, you know, essentially the grassroots of, of soccer is, uh, is exciting and uh, I guess uh, attract um, and attracts many people um, to the games. And, and a lot of people can appreciate that side of the game as well. So, um, so yeah, I, I think that uh, that region has always uh, produced great players. And, and if you are going to go see 
some of the, the futures uh, of tomorrow, then that is, that's the place to be. And, uh, and being a part of the PDL is something that I think if people can see that and, and be attracted to for sure. That's great. Uh, thanks so much for your, your time today, Todd. Uh, really looking forward to the, the season getting underway where we've been kind of really working closely with TSS Rovers to, to get a lot of stuff done. So we're just looking, looking forward to it and good luck for the year ahead. Thank you. We're excited about it. And I know there's uh, going to be some great uh, performances out that way. So, uh, so anytime and uh, thanks for having some, uh, putting some attention on the PDL for us. No problem. Thanks so much for your time, Todd, and maybe speak to you soon. PDL director Todd Eason there. Really good chatting with him. A lot more we could really have talked about as well, but I think that was just covering the main points that we wanted to do just now. The league is continuing to to go from strength to strength and as we mentioned there, 73% of MLS Super Draft picks had PDL experience. The Whitecaps drafted four guys this year and all four of them have played PDL. Francis de Vries won a PDL championship with Michigan Bucks in 2014 and 2016. First round pick Jake Norwinski had some time with the PDL as well. WFC2 centre-back Dominic Zeter played with Calgary Foothills and made it all the way to the, the PDL Championship game in 2016, losing to Francis de Vries as Michigan Bucks. Another player that played with Michigan Bucks, but not in those two championship years, was the most recent WFC2 recruit, Nazim Bartman. He played with the Bucks in 2013. I actually spoke with Nazim at WFC2 training on Wednesday and we're going to hopefully bring you that interview in either this Sunday or next Sunday's AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, so watch out for that. Now Canadian clubs have had a lot of success in the PDL in recent years. KW United won it in 2015. I was down at that championship weekend in Seattle. It coincided with the Whitecaps playing down against the Sounders in Seattle. So it was great to see the semi-finals on the Friday, MLS game on the Saturday, and then the championship game on the Sunday, which KWA United won. A couple of ex-Whitecaps players on that team, Wesley Kane and Adam Polakovic. There was almost further success for Canadian sides last season. Calgary Foothills were Western Conference champions, had a great run to the championship game before losing a close one to Michigan Bucks. And just kind of keeping a, a Cascadian theme... Michigan Bucks beat Kitsap Pumas for the 2014 title as well. So there's been a lot of success recently for Canadian and Cascadian teams. The latest of which is TSSFC Rovers. Their inaugural season gets underway this Friday in a a game at Calgary Foothills with a second game coming thick and fast on Sunday. It could be a tough first year for TSS Rovers. They're, They're Playing against the defending Western Conference champs, Victoria Highlanders are always strong. You've got Seattle Sounders and Portland Timbers under-23s and Lane United in there as well. We're going to bring you a chat now that we had with the the two guiding forces behind TSS Rovers. Colin Elms and Will Cromack. We did this interview a couple of weeks ago, but we we were saving it till closer to the season to bring it to you. Just going to have a chat about the history of TSS through their academy what they're hoping to achieve this year, and a lot more besides. So let's hear now from Colin Elms and Will Cromack.
want to start with the history of TSS? How far back do we want to go? <laughs> Why did you set up an academy to begin with, I guess? Or, like, what prompted you to do it? Oh, wow, that is a long time ago. Um, uh, my uh, former partner uh, in TSS and I were provincial team coaches back in the early 90s. And, um, you know, I was back in the day where you kind of got the players selected your squad at spring break, and then you had the players through to July. And, you know, clearly, um, uh, the experiences that these players got from, uh, you know, more sophisticated coaching, not obviously just us, but any uh, anybody that was hired to run those teams, uh, was, was generally superior to what was going on in their club environment at the time. Not all the time, but in a lot of instances it was. And so program would end and uh, players would say to us, hey, can we keep training uh, with you guys? And and uh, we'd say, no, no, you got to go uh, got to go back into your club environment. We're just a short term kind of kind of uh, set up. Uh, go make your go make your club teams better, blah, blah, blah. And then we actually went to BC Soccer at some point, a group of us, and said, you know, there is uh, uh, interest in continuing on having these players uh, be involved with us. And, and back in that day, there was the uh, national training centers, but they generally only dealt with, you know, the, the 17, 18-year-olds and up uh, for the most part. And, uh, and these guys were, were below that age. So we went to BC Soccer and said, hey, let's I think there'd be some interest in having sort of like a once-a-week kind of scenario with, with some of these kids and BC Soccer at the time, uh, which was 20-plus years ago, um, weren't in, were not interested at all in messing with the, with the uh, political world of districts and clubs. And they basically said to us, guys, look, that's not going to work. And, um, and we kind of said, okay. And we thought, well, there appears to be a market here for this sort of thing. And so in, uh, in 97, um, we incorporated TS, Total Soccer Systems, Inc., which is the original name, and uh, started to host uh, the players that I just described uh, once a week. And we did it out of St. George's Private School in Vancouver. We had a bit of a... Bit of a, a a uh, swap with them. We we did a bunch of stuff for their PE classes, and uh, I took their grade seven uh, team to the private school national championships for a few years, and and we functioned out of there. Primarily, players sort of 14, 13, 14 years old and older, which was kind of provincial sort of level at the in the day there uh, where it started, and. Um, the majority of the kids that kind of came into us were kids of that ilk. And then word started to spread that this existed and, and whatnot, and it slowly sort of grew up to uh, some numbers that um, made it a much more difficult for us to stay at St. George's. Uh, the space and time we were starting to require there outdid the amount of work we were doing for the school. And uh, the school got a new headmaster, who was from New Zealand, a big rugby guy. And um, he kind of said to us, hey, guys, this has been great, but you're moving on. And uh, that was in 1999. And uh, we went, oh, no, now we have no facility. 
and um, uh, ended up, uh, I ended up meeting a, a, a soccer childhood friend that I'd not seen in a while, uh, who had actually uh, almost gotten involved in some sort of indoor soccer facility in Burnaby. This is before Canline. And, um, and uh, we started chatting, and it was over like Christmas 1999, and uh, um, a couple weeks later, he phoned me up and said, my real estate agent has dropped something in my lap. I think we should talk. And uh, I met him, and it turned out it was the old Western Indoor Tennis site in Richmond. Um, the club was being sold. Uh, and, uh, yeah, from, from that point onwards to, I think, about July of 2000, we, we uh, operated under some park permits in Vancouver, which was very precarious, uh, and then um, ended up uh, at Sportstown, uh, or what we called Sportstown. And so TSS's home from then on uh, was at this private uh, sporting facility that had a whole bunch of amenities, a bar, a restaurant, a retail soccer store, the tennis got squeezed down into a smaller space, there was a outdoor pool, um, a real kind of club kind of scenario. I think that's really when um, uh, what we were, our, our environment had grown significantly in, in the period between 97 and 99, but it really took off when we got, when we got to Sportstown because we built indoor soccer space. Um, and at the time, there was no indoor. And certainly any indoor was, was a gym floor. It wasn't a turfed area. And uh, so as soon as the, uh, the word got out about the indoor uh, destination and the sort of quality of coaching and stuff that was going on uh, in this environment, um, things grew quite, quite rapidly. And uh, we've been functioning from, we functioned from like 97 right through until probably 2011, just providing um, soccer sort of tutoring. We have the players in once a week, some some twice. We, we had some twice-a-week players, midweek. But really, we were just purely supporting the system as a, as a technical uh, uh, instruction destination. And then the same sort of thing started to happen as happened back in, in, in the mid-'90s. Uh, we'd run some spring-summer teams uh, where we would bring together a whole bunch of players from our academy that played on multiple club teams in the community. And these parents and players at the ends of those programs would say things to us like, gee, really wish we could stay here. Um, you know, some of them, again, did, maybe didn't have great club, club uh, environments and situations. And uh, um, finally we said, bugger it, let's put together some full-time teams. We did so on the girls' side of the of the of the ledger, just as uh, the, the new high performance league came online. Um, so it, it was it was an interesting period, and we've grown from there. We we have seven full time teams now, uh, three on the boys' side and four on the girls' side. Um, our female oldest female teams play in the Metro Women's Soccer League. Uh, which helps to certainly prepare them, uh, prepare the players to, to be a part of university soccer environments. 
Um, uh, we've managed every single season since inception to place every single grade 12 player in some form of appropriate post-secondary soccer uh, situation. Oh, wow. Some are prominent. Um, you might say, well, that's just a college or that's a university that maybe not a lot of people would covet, but still, they all ended up in, in university soccer environments. And we've created a, uh, my, my partner, Brendan Corey, is very, very good at this aspect of our business. And uh, we created some pretty significant relationships with the university co- coaches on the female side across the country. And, uh, you know, once you deliver them a player or two and those players work out, they're usually pretty quick to come back to you uh, for, for advice and see, you know, what kind of, I guess, crop of players we have coming up and, and whatnot. So it's kind of mushroomed uh, from there. And so uh, partway through the girls' process, we started uh, some young boys' teams, um, which we still host. And uh, we kind of have, on the boys' side, we, we, don't, we don't host a similar model to the girls. Um, part of the problem is, uh, well, there's a few issues, but the biggest one for me is... is um, Having a, a like 16, 17-year-old female soccer player play in female adult leagues, um, the physical difference there is certainly apparent, but it's not dangerous. Um, having 16, 17-year-old TSS Academy players playing even in like a BMSL under-21 environment, yeah. which we tried for a short period of time, uh, was a bit perilous. Um, uh, you know, the difference physically between a 16, 17-year-old and a 19, 20, 21-year-old is, is quite large. Um, and, uh, and as we know, as males, uh, when you go out and you start playing football, and clearly the uh, younger guys uh, in a lot of instances were somewhat superior in technique and understanding. Um, the, the male side of the game tends to get a little bit more aggressive, yeah. flash out. And so it, 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 it became this sort of, uh, our, our players were in somewhat physical danger at times, and they stopped being soccer players because they were, they, they were looking over their shoulder every five seconds waiting for the next uh, tackle uh, to come. And so it didn't, it, didn't, it didn't work out there for us in a way that we, you know, we obviously were trying to develop footballers and these, these uh Teams, not all of them. Some of them were quite good, uh, but some of them would would take physical liberty on these kids, and so uh, we let that kind of uh, uh, that that part of it uh, go into hiatus for for a time. And we backed up and started dealing with sort of U eleven, U twelve, U thirteen type players, which is kind of to to some degree what we're dealing with with right now. We have a U fifteen team, we have a U thirteen team, and we have a U eleven. Uh, boys team in our in our mix, and all of these teams, the youth teams in particular, who are not in league, play multiple exhibition friendlies and enter three or four tournament events a year. And we play upwards of thirty to forty matches a year with these teams now. So it's more than an appropriate scenario for us, um, even though we're not in league. What we like about what we do the most is, is we can um, pick our opponents. If 
if one of our teams is uh, very high on confidence and has been playing incredibly well uh, performance-wise and getting results and stuff, we'll go find them a team that's going to put them in the deep end. Uh, if, on the flip side, if, if our te- one of our teams has been struggling confidence-wise and maybe not performing quite as well, we go find sometimes a younger team to play against um, to, to allow the guys to, to get a little bit of sp- uh, space and breathing room to allow them to kind of settle into their performance uh, uh, capabilities again. And, of course, when you're in a league, you don't have that choice, right? You could have a, a young group of players that are lacking confidence at a particular moment and be playing, you know, uh, uh, top-of-the-table teams for the next three weeks, and you just got to deal with it. Um, and, and sometimes that's not the, not the best process. So we, uh, although there are certainly moments where we would like to be into the in the league environments locally, there are just as many moments where we're quite happy with uh, with how uh, we can structure and control um, who who our competitive events are against and stuff, and then do things like train for two straight weeks and actually not play a game um, uh, and whatnot. Are, are playing to. Our, our, our game to training ratio at our place is probably somewhere between between four and five to one, uh, which we feel is is uh, a better number from a from a footballing perspective. I, I honestly believe that some of these young players don't need to play every Saturday. Uh, that is an adult-driven scenario um, that's entrenched in our in our world, uh, not just here clearly, but in other places. Uh, so we play a game sort of once every 10 to 12 days with uh, with our young players. And the girls' uh, youth stuff is very similar to the boys. So, so yeah, that's kind of the uh, – um, we've hosted, I guess, you know, I'd say there have been some years where we've had 700 players in our mix. Um, we now have about uh, between four and 500 players in our once-a-week academies. Uh, and uh, and about 130 to 140 full-time soccer players, and these players are are just with us. They're un, unregistered um, in the province of uh, of BC. Um, we're working towards making that so it's not the case anymore with our with our friends at, at BC Soccer. Um, hopefully, one day that'll be be the case. But uh, yeah, we're we're kind of like a you know, if you look at the player development model in our province, we're kind of a bit of a sidebar, um, you know, a, a, a dotted line that goes out to this uh, private academy type scenario. And clearly across the country, the private academies have assisted in populating our men's national and our, and, and I think even to a, to a small extent, some of the female players that have popped up on the national team radar. So the system, I think, is, is trying to figure out the best way, uh, dealing with all their governance issues, to, to bring groups like ours uh, more into the, the active role of, of supporting uh, the environment. And we have, you know, I can show you, show you emails all the way back to 2003 where we've attempted to become part of the system. We want to be part of the solution uh, to help our country to, to get better at what, we're, what, what we do in the football world. Um, and as we know, ranked 117th in the world right now, um, we need all the help we can get. Cutting out, you know, regardless of how they're structured business-wise, cutting out big groups of people. Uh, you know, 
I've made my living doing this for over 20 years. Spent a bunch of money with partners uh, on facilities and stuff. We're here for the long term and, and have been and have proven that over the years. So we just we want to be inside the tent helping to move uh, our player development forward uh, in, in the next little while. And, uh, and hopefully that, that'll be the case here. So, so to, to tie that into like the PDL team, I guess a, a question then to ask you is, ultimately moving forward, and it's maybe too early for year one, but moving forward, do you see... Like white white caps, their residency guys going to the USL team. Do you see the TSS Academy guys ultimately making the move up to the PDL team? Yeah, we're we're that you know, if you, <laughs> if you move move back to when we started talking about this, you know, clearly there is a, a, a TSS Academy uh, twist to this and and we have uh, by going out and uh, sticking our necks out and getting this PDL franchise, we have created, uh, for the most part, a top end to our, our little player development model at our place. Yeah. And without a doubt, Mike, the idea is, is you know, when we first did it, I brought my uh, my sort of U15 group in, and I said, you know, I, we told them about it, I said, we, we've done this for you guys, right? This is for you. Uh, not tomorrow. <laughs> Uh, but in the next couple of years, some of you will, you know, without a doubt, be involved in this environment moving forward. Um, we're excited about what we're doing. Uh, we, we, we've found lots of very good players locally, we believe. But ultimately, we want our TSS FC youth players being uh, motivated and driven to get uh, into the, the the level that PDL uh, presents. So yeah, you're you're spot on uh, in your in your question there. And if I can add, you know, when we when we look at this, what what really what you really have to take from this is is um, if there's only one way to do things, i.e., if you were only allowed to do it, um, you know, the Burnley way or the Arsenal way. Um, there would be no other, you know, Tottenham's and Leicester's and whatnot. So we look at it and always look for the gaps and always look for the places where things are falling, you know, the cracks in the system. And and quite frankly, that's a worldwide issue um, that people take on. You know, you get cut from this squad, you can come to another squad. Uh, the Dell Alleys and the Harry Canes and the sitting on the bench at, uh, um, uh, you know, lower level teams but the point is there is a gap and there's a gap in our entire system across the the development um world of soccer in the under 23 level or just that after youth soccer level um but there's also a gap in that club co- sort of continuity i.e when you were trained at nine um and then you went to the 11s and then you went to the 13s and you went to the 15s is there some continuity there is there a way that we um can not only help to be a solution, which is obvious uh, by our intentions around Canadians for Canadians, um, and, and, and probably at our own detriment right now, but is there a way that we can sort of um, encourage everybody to, to, you know, be a real club? Um, this is what our club does. At the very beginning, we, we start you this way. We add layers as you grow through it. 
some will fall out, of course, some will go out elsewhere. Um, but those coming in and those that, from the very grassroots, if we can build that over a decade, you know, we're going to get real CSS football club rovers into that system and then showcase them there so they can move on somewhere else in the world where they hopefully have a career. It seems quite unique, I think, in PDL as well to have an academy. I'll, I'll look into it, but from the PDL sides, I know I don't think any of them have structured academies. I, I know a lot of them probably do run like youth clubs and stuff, because obviously like yeah, Crossfire Premier did. Yeah, real common to have uh, youth clubs, um, but I think in North America, in principle, I think it's really not common to have a, a unified playing philosophy Um and again, you know, it's not a cut to anybody, but it's, you know, if your if your bottom end, the bottom of your funnel is run by um, volunteer dads, um, you're going to get some yeah. gaps. You know, you really you really are. North America is, is suffers um, big time on that front. At the same time, as succeeding with numbers so so amazingly, but we we do brilliantly with recreational, and then we end up with our our national teams um, sitting well further down uh, the pecking order, but. Um, you know, we aspire to be an example of what um, uh, a world club can be, however small we might be ourselves, but we aspire to be that level and have players be able to see with their own eyes, you know, what that ladder looks like. And if they bring their aspect to it, that they can follow, uh, follow along, have great fun, um, be coached by uh, qualified coaches who um, live and breathe that club philosophy and, you know, people will be attracted to us for what we do and also repelled from us because they might not like what we do. And that's perfect. We want people to be into our culture. I think, Mike, there's a, you know, there's a little bit of a misunderstanding. Uh, unfortunately, and I even say this even though I, I've made my living this way, um, uh, our friends down in the United States 25, 30 years ago created this user-pay football uh, model. And we have, clearly, as we tend to do at times, uh, we've mirrored their um, uh, their setup. And uh, I know there's some people out there that struggle with the fact that people are paying us money to, to be soccer yeah. uh, coaches and, and an organization. But the reality is it's everywhere now. Um, and, yeah, you can argue that Nonprofits don't have shareholders and don't have dividends and stuff, but they have surplus, uh, and they use that surplus sometimes to build clubhouses and do different things and whatnot, which is all good for the game and whatnot. But the reality is the difference now between a club, nonprofit club environment. Um, let's say there was a uh, you know a, a line that was a meter long. And we, privates, 20 years ago were at one end and the clubs were at the other. Um, I would say that the club soccer environment has moved drastically towards our direction of that line. Uh, they're, they're so close now that there's maybe only a, a couple of centimeters in between us anymore on that meter line. Um, a lot of money. There's a lot of money in the game now. There's people making very good livings as technical directors, very good living as, uh, as soccer uh, coaches in the community and stuff. And so the line, that line is very blurred now for me. Um, uh, and I know I've heard that there are some out there that have 
said, oh, TSS bought a PDL team, but they're, you know, they charge money for, you know, we did, I'll be honest, we did get a few people say, are you guys charging your players? And, of course, we were very clear on that from the outset, that this is a, uh, this is set up like, well, any type of semi-professional environment where the players are, are not paid, uh, but all their expenses are, are taken care of outside of their, their gasoline and their car uh, uh, maintenance to get themselves uh, to and from training and games. So not games always, but some games. Um, and I guess you could call it their, their opportunity loss from a, an ability to maybe work a little bit more in the period of time that we're together. But the majority of these guys, and it's been clear to us, in all our discussions with the players that, that we, we have um, uh, joining us here so far, they want to pursue being professional footballers. And, uh, and this, is a, this is a mechanism for them here locally that has not existed for a while. Uh, obviously, the Highlanders have taken care of that on the island for the last couple of seasons. But in the lower mainland, there is no PDL-type scenario at the moment. Uh, and we've been... Um, almost, I would say, attacked by uh, the players from that level who badly want to be involved in this type of environment. And of course, Swangard uh, has has added to that cachet along the way. So we're we're pretty excited about what's what's in front of us here, and and think the team will will be will be competitive. So, can I touch in there on on? something but it just kind of popped into my mind there as you were just saying about how there's not been anything in the lower mainland obviously a couple of years ago there was Abbotsford the Abbotsford Mariners they had their PDL team it was in the middle of nowhere because I headed up to a couple of games when the Caps played up there and it's a pain in the ass to even find the field never mind anything else what what makes you guys different then to a club like that that just couldn't be sustainable and then you've seen clubs in Washington as well that they're just not sustainable to to keep that level of play going I think this just the, the bottom line is is um, you know you have to be close to enough population but also you have to look throughout all the leagues in North America um, there's some super powerful uh, junior hockey teams which um, in essence, we're a little bit older player, but uh, we're similar in terms of model um, in the PDL. And you have to, you have to really. I mean, ultimately, it's a business. That unit unto itself, or that property, is a business, and you have to, you have to treat it as such. So, um, you know, we've, um, we've, between Colin and I, we've built a board of advisors uh, that includes some. Uh, extremely um, savvy business people, all of them uh, that we've um, had agreed to sit on our board are soccer-centric, um, from CEOs of banks to uh, owners of businesses uh, that, that um, you know, are massive in, in scope, uh, down to subscription experts, um, connections, leaders. So I think that that's a very good starting point for us. You know, our main goal is to, to break even for year one and not um, ultimately embarrass ourselves on the, uh, on the pitch. Um, and I think you have to build um, connectivity to the fans. So one of our um, – ultimately, you have to have a vision, Mike. And, I mean, it, it, it is – there's 
nothing different than running a, a bricks and mortar uh, a shop. Um, if you don't have a vision and you're always changing your ways, um, then people can't get connected to it. But our main thing is um, if when we dream and when we when we think and and the values we want to be associated with that can emanate from our academy and the time we've spent on the grass with them. Um, with the kids and uh, and the way we see uh, football is that um, North America, in our mind, um, in in many ways, uh, while it's amazing in, in so many of its sporting activities, treat the fan as a commodity, and um, you know come to come buy the beers, the parking. Uh, this is this is an event out. We're we're a tantamount to a, a a concert or a night out at a restaurant, and that's who we're competing with. And, and we see it. We see it differently. We see it as as um, can we be um, stewards of a of a club and partnered with the fans who who can own it much like they would own their um, you know English whatever division club or Scottish club or Italian club. Um, yeah, I I'm a shareholder at East Fife. We have a supporters trust and. I, I'm a I'm a member of about four different clubs that I've bought shares in, and it, you just feel part of that, and you take a bigger interest in it. Correct. And so the Bundesliga is an example of what we would say in a business sense is amazing. I mean, fifty percent has to be owned by the fans. It's illegal in most North American um, businesses, but you need to look no further than an NFL model. Um, uh, and Green Bay Packers have been grandfathered into it. It's owned all by fans, and look yeah. what, look at the way that they own. Um, you know, a sport like that that doesn't even have promotion or relegation or anything like that, but they own it. They they, they feel emotionally attached. So we're taking the, the mentality of, and we even wrote this on our website, um, values that we uh, espouse to deliver and walk the talk about are, um, we believe that Canadians can be quality soccer players and world-class one day, but we're going to have to grind together. Um, we believe that everybody belongs and has a say and has a voice, um, and we believe that there's zero voices, including ours, even though we have to pay the bills that are more important than one another. Um, you know, and then we believe in Canadians. Yeah. It's okay to, it's okay to say, like, we want to be Canadians, uh, and we say it in many ways, but Canadians for Canadians is a, is a great way to, to get out there. But, you, 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 you know, we want to listen to people and say, well, we want, we want to have a place where we can shout and yell okay great go make it like we're not going to tell you what to do how to do it just basically don't be a dick and we'll all be getting along and having a good time i just want to just just a ten thousand foot view there for you mike i know you were talking about well what's the difference you know abbotsford pdl blah, blah, blah. um i think our our football uh, dynamic in north america has changed a lot in that period of time um you look at you know, and you got to thank the MLS for a lot of this, but you think about this. You know, I, I've been a subscriber to all the sport channels for many years, and I've watched, particularly in the last three or four years. Um, I still remember the day where I, I, uh, I threw on my TV, and it was, a, it was a, uh, a, an international break, and I, I went into my Sportsnet, my multiple Sportsnet, channels and I suddenly realized that I could watch any of five or six live games. Yeah. And I I remember I remember like texting Willie and 
<laughs> I don't even know what games to watch because they're all, of course, happening right, right at the same time. Yeah. I think there's been a real, real shift uh, over the last few years in this game. You know, like it or not, North American mainstay sports, this game is growing in leaps and bounds. And there are young families uh, with five-year-old kids going, what should my kid play? Oh, hey, there's this soccer thing, right? And, and I really think that, that there's a real uh, momentum uh, starting to roll forward on this. And I'm not suggesting that, you know, in 10 years that, that our game is going to be the top sport in North America, but I don't believe it's going to be where it's sitting right now. Um, and, and I think that, you know, as much as I enjoy some, some of the other sports that I watch, uh, there, this, is a, this is a freight train, and it's coming fast. Um, and it's the world's most popular game, and there's lots more people starting to embrace it. Uh, and more and more every day, and uh, I just think that we're on the we're on the on the cusp of something uh, pretty pretty amazing here in the next ten years as it comes to football in North America. So I think the pie is getting bigger all the time. And as with yeah, that, if, if you create something that is authentic, something that people can own, something that people can help steer. Um, and then you go back to places like Swangard, where anybody that lives around here has a you know a soft spot, a warm soft spot for from a footballing perspective. Yeah. Um, and then hopefully you go about your business in a way that that gets people excited and doesn't upset anybody, and and uh, and, and the team you know thrives and and uh, is competitive and is sticking to it Canadian for Canadian uh, situation. Eventually, maybe it's hope, maybe it's dreaming, 
there'll be um, catalysts like uh, uh, promotion relegation or open open cups that allow us to pit our wits against whatever level. Um, and until then, we'll manufacture those because we've been doing it with our youngsters. We're going to go manufacture those. So um, if someone wants to play us, whether they're um, local or flown in or whatever that looks like, we'll continue to, to do that. But it's real football. Like, it's yeah. hey, that There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, in fact, if anything, when I look at the numbers and the research that I've been doing and guys that I've been talking to, Canada was the third most popular planet on uh, uh, a country on the planet in terms of sheer numbers watching the Brazil World Cup. And we were the furthest nation from ever getting there. <laughs> but we, I don't know, Scotland's not far behind. Yeah, you know, and, we, and FIFA, FIFA Sports, is, you know, FIFA 11, FIFA 17, those are all massive builders for youngsters in their knowledge. My kid knows more players than I do, and I watch all the time. Yeah. Um, you know, so, so there's an element of going, um, hold on a second, that is a commodity. Uh, I, don't, I don't like that. I don't like the idea that, that they put on pink shoelaces uh, and run around the pitch and say it's uh, cancer day, uh, give us your money, and then, and then you, um, you know, and then they, they show from the rooftops that they donated a whole bunch of money. Well, no, no, I did, actually. It was my money. You just wore pink shoelaces. Like, all that stuff is all melted into what we believe um, is kind of broken in some senses, or, or NFL-like, if you will. And then we come back and go, well, listen, we don't need 10,000 people or 20,000 people. We don't have a, you know, Costa Rican striker or an Italian midfielder. And we're going to have to go with developing young Canadians. Um, but we can build um, a family. And it can start with if you have a scarf, if you have a jersey, if you play in our academy or you're on one of our teams, it's your club. Come down and start and have a pint. TSSFC Rovers, Will Cromack and Colin Elms there. The Rovers season gets underway as we said this Friday with a game against Calgary Foothills in Calgary, closely followed by another one on Sunday against the Foothills. The Rovers' first ever home match will be a week on Friday, May 12th at Swangard Stadium. 7 o'clock kick-off against Lane United. Get out to that one. All the ticket details are on the TSS Rovers website, tssrovers.com. AFTN is proud to be the media partner for TSS Rovers in their inaugural PDL season. I'll be doing their colour commentary for all their streams, along with Gideon Hill, who'll be doing the play-by-play. If you haven't checked out all our player profiles on AFTN for the entire squad, go and check that out now, aftn.ca. We're really looking forward for the PDL season that's to come. Six Canadian teams in the league this year, three of them in the Pacific Northwest Division. TSS Rovers, Calgary Foothills and Victoria Highlanders. There's also WSA Winnipeg, Thunder Bay Chill and KW United. So lots in the league for Canadian fans to get behind. TSS Rovers of course are going for an all-Canadian squad so something even more for Canadian fans to get behind. We'll be bringing you full coverage of this season on AFTN so always check back for that. We hope you've enjoyed this special PDL episode of the podcast. 
We'll be back on Sunday on CITR Radio with the AFTN Soccer Show. 101.9 FM if you're in the Lower Mainland or citr.ca online. And the podcast for the show will be up on Monday. I've been your host, Michael McCall. You can follow me on Twitter at AFTN Canada. Anything you want to chat about, drop us an email, aftncanada at hotmail.com. You can also read all our stuff away from the numbers, aftn.ca. I'm also the Whitecaps beat reporter for MLSsoccer.com and a Western Conference reporter for USLsoccer.com. So check all my stuff out on that as well. But until next time, as always, thanks for listening. Take care and enjoy the PDL season to come. Thanks, everyone. One day, I shall come back. Yes, I shall come back. Until then, there must be no regrets, no tears, no anxieties. Just go forward in all your beliefs and prove to me that I am not mistaken in mine.